You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I learned yesterday that if we tunneled straight through the earth, (laughs) right down uh, to the other side, we would die. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of obvious, but... uh, Well, I mean, before you got too far, you'd die. uh, Yeah. Unless you had, well, a couple things. You'd have to have a reliable source of oxygen because it's lighter than a lot of, you know, it's lighter than carbon dioxide, so that's going to build up. Um. The, then also it gets a bit warm. The magma core kind of yeah. gets in the way. You have to find some kind of way to shield yourself from that business. Yeah. Um, but if by chance we did figure this out, we would end up almost directly south of the point of India and east of Madagascar. Yeah. It, you know, this is one of those cases where I think it's probably just easier to go the long way. Well, probably so, but, you know. But then what are you going to do when you get there? Drown. Because you're in the middle of the ocean and. <laughs> well, you might drown. It's, it's salt water. You're pretty buoyant in salt water. <laughs> I'm actually pretty buoyant overall. Um, Just, you got to lay on your back and. Uh, fat floats. Well, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I recently discovered that I can float in a pool. I hadn't been swimming in years. Um, I've, you know, okay, since I've been married. Um, I gained. You got happy. <laughs> I gained eighty pounds since since me and Mickey got married. Eighty pounds. I was one hundred and twenty <laughs> pounds when we got married. Um, that's insane. They actually, there's a study that says if you're happy in your relationship, particularly men, if they're happy in the relationship, they tend to gain weight. Well, and. So, you know, men, uh, women, if your husbands are getting, you know, larger, just take it as a good sign. Yeah. It's, it's really funny because, I mean, I've always eaten a whole lot uh, in general. Well, that's like, part of being an underwood. Yeah, that's, that's part of our, our genetics. And like, I, I seriously, like, I, people would not believe in high school how much I could eat because I was so real thin. I just had a really high metabolism and... It was really funny. Right after Mickey and I got married, she had made some really good crockpot meal. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was fantastic. And and she had this, uh, I think it was a three quart crockpot, and something like that, probably. And you know, it w- it was filled to the brim. And I ate dinner, and I went and had seconds, and and we, I was like, man, that was really good. What are we? What are we? Ha-? And I just kind of offhand, I was like, what's on the menu for tomorrow night? And she's like, well, we're going to have leftovers. I'm like, of? <laughs> I'm like, and she goes, is that all gone? I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah. So now we have a six quart, a six quart <laughs> crock pot. Um, and it does keep us in food. That was actually, it was, it was just kind of funny. Just kind of the, the different worlds we come from. Because, you know, Mickey, uh, she, you know, she says that you know, she could eat meat like once every other month and she'd be totally fine and happy and part of it i think is growing up on the farm where if there wasn't meat you didn't have you haven't had dinner yet 
Yeah, meat was with every meal. Yeah, and I, I remember. Um, I remember when we would growing up, we'd go to restaurants, and I would see steak on the menu, uh-huh. and I was like, "Why did?" Because because you know, we, we raised cows, so mm-hmm. so beef to us was cheaper than mm-hmm. buying even chicken at the store, and so. I was like, why in the world would someone go to a restaurant and order a steak? Don't you order, go, don't you go to a restaurant to order stuff you can't get at home? And, and in my mind, it was so expensive because no one ever ordered it. Um, and so that, that's kind of like. Well, I actually had a similar experience because, uh, you know, when I was right out of high school, I went to get my certification to teach the William Alexander method of painting. Yeah. And the whole group of us one night went out to a buffet and everyone else went walked in and went oh they have steak on the buffet you know it was the hand carved and yeah and all of that good stuff and anyway and i'm like what is wrong with you people they have salmon and yeah. well of course that that also was in or yeah it salem was oregon salem right? oregon yeah so that you're up in the northeast you're up there where the, the fish are accessible yeah and they're like who cares about fish and i'm like that would be me. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny because in Oklahoma, actually, a lot of people uh, don't eat fish other than catfish. Right. And that's, we're kind of different in that. We, we yeah. Like- well, and, and I, I guess say one of the things too growing up is, is uh, the, the, the steaks we had at home were always cooked well done. Very well done. Very well done. We love you, mom. And, and so when I, the first time, there was one day I was, when I was working at Guitar Center, I was still single. Um, and I had very low bills, so you know I would eat eat at restaurants quite a bit. And I remember the first time I had a steak outside of the house because I hadn't had a I hadn't had beef in like serious. I had hamburgers, but I hadn't like had serious beef in in a long time. And I went to Outback Steakhouse, which is you know in retrospect is not even like the best right. uh, restaurant steak you're gonna get. It's okay, mm-hmm. but I remember having that for the first time. I was like, I understand why people eat steak now, <laughs> and um. So, so yeah, since then, um, I've been a huge fan of the steak. Um, we had some, we had some last had night, last actually. Night. Yeah, I wasn't was actually even planning on talking about this. Yeah, it but, was good though. But yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I, there's some nights, there are some nights when it comes to grilling the steaks, I'm on. And <laughs> that was, yeah. yeah, last night we, I, I got, I got it on the coals just right. Got them off at just the right time. Um, so yeah. I've kind of got. It, I'm starting to get it down uh, with with my steak. I like them. Just put it on, put it on the grill, two minutes on each side, and and throw that sucker on a plate. Let's get it going. Yeah. So we're we're fans of the the rare steak. Yep. And so. So. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. We, Speaking of steaks and cutting up beef and all <laughs> of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> the accidental segue. Go ahead. Uh, we're we're still so way too impressed with ourselves when we do that. <laughs> I'm not impressed. I'm surprised. <laughs> okay, so we'll move from surprised to surpri- uh, impressed. Uh, so impressed makes it sound like we're doing something fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, not so much. Okay, and again, we ruin it with uh, continuing on. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so we finished up last week, and we had uh, we ended on a high note because Abraham had met with Elkezadak. Mm-hmm. He was getting a clue. And we we think, okay, maybe this guy isn't the same guy who left Egypt. That he's starting to grow up a little bit. Yeah. And and, then, and how old is he at this point? 
You know, I, I you can get me to lie. Um, he's somewhere between 85 and 90 at this point, probably. And so, ladies, if you're wondering when your husband <laughs> is going to <laughs> is going to finally grow up, uh, let's not. I, I guess there's probably better examples in the world. <laughs> let's hope there are. <laughs> I mean, this is one time when if you're going by biblical scripture, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, let's not put that on anyone. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham's rules for marriage. Let's, man, that would be a, don't take his, his advice. Can you, oh my gosh. Okay. So when you said that I had like this total parody book in my uh, That's head. exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the sad thing is there's probably somebody out there who would try it. If it hasn't marriage, been done. We need to, uh, so look, we're going to have to come up with a pen name and work on that. That's going to. I actually have my pen name, but I'm not going to reveal it. So anyway. Well, then what's the point of having one if you reveal it? Well, I'm not going to reveal. I'm just going to release, you know, when I release something that's totally stupid. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like like Abraham's rules for marriage. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll put that in the <laughs> hopper of things for us to do. Yeah. Because we need another project. <laughs> exactly. And so now we're jumping into Genesis 15 and it says sometime later. So we really don't know how long it has passed. because. Right. Yeah, really, and that's the other thing, too, we should point out. In the Bible, the passage of time, number one, the events are not chronological. Not always. And, yeah, like, we kind of talked about Yeah, we talked about, yeah, how the the timeline's just a mess. It it really is. And time doesn't have the same significance. Because even though now the people uh, who receive the Torah, remember, Abraham doesn't have the Torah. Right. There's nothing written to Abraham at this point. So he doesn't have that in the beginning. Right. We don't even know if he's aware, actually. That's true. Well, and at this point, I mean, it's one of those things is like, is, is God like, yeah, we're not going to bog him down with that information yet. Yeah. So, so when the Bible starts talking about passage of time, a lot of times, anytime there's numbers, really, it's often more symbolic than yeah. literal. Well, it's kind of funny real quick because, you know, we were talking about, you may not know about in the beginning, you were talking about... uh with Melchizedek saying, you know, creator of heavens and earth. And Abraham's like, I like that. What did you, what was that you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> did, did what with what? Uh-uh. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, it really could have been, you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now, but it, it could have been the first time that Abraham had been confronted with that. Yeah. Like, and is that who I've been talking to? <laughs> Well, and and that's the thing. We we tend to read this like everybody in the Bible has their own copy of the Bible. Right. Which makes absolutely no sense if we put a little <laughs> bit of thought into it. Just right. a little bit. And Abraham's so, reading Judges going like, oh, man, that's going to suck. My kids really screwed this up. <laughs> he may not have been so ready to sign on for this mission if he would have known how things were going to go. Right. And. But, but they don't have that. Uh, and everything is an oral tradition. And it's believed that basically anything before Genesis 11 was probably supernaturally revealed mm-hmm. to Moses at Sinai. And so now Abraham on, now we're talking probably stuff that was preserved from oral tradition and sure. oral history. Because you did keep track of the, the begats, you know, who, who begat so-and-so and watch me call it begat thingamabob and thing, yeah. You know, all those wonderful names that no, but nobody can pronounce. And I'm, I'm just working on that. You, you know, you're talking about anything from one to eleven being supernaturally revealed. Um, I, I'm just, it's kind of interesting because when you look at it from the sense of it being a polemic, 
mm-hmm. it's like how much of that would have been supernaturally revealed and maybe dictated and how much of that would have been God helping Moses just figure it out just by thinking whatever it is you can think of the Egyptian gods find a way to say I'm greater yeah and so that's I mean and that's that's pure speculation that's just me asking a question for a thought experiment and if anyone has anything on that feel free to send it our way I'd love it well and and, and that really is the question uh, where how far did God take the process of inspiration Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've talked about this some, but it, it's good to point out, we kind of tend to think that they get zapped into this trance, write all this stuff down, and then pick it up and go, oh, wow, that was pretty good. Da- downloading, that's the new buzz phrase, in, or at least not the, not the new one, but that's a pretty recent buzz phrase in the charismatic circles. Yeah. And God's I, just downloading so much information about his love to me, and I'm like, you're not a modem. Um, <laughs> Well, where's your cat five go? But the, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm always a little iffy when I hear stuff like that, but, but yeah, it, it was, you know, it's, you know, like Heiser calls it the X-Files view of inspiration, mm-hmm. which I love because it is, it's that auto writing. Oh, Hey, there's a, my hand started moving. So I put some paper under it, uh, just to see what was going to happen. And, uh, I woke up to this. Which is kind of ironic because automatic writing is considered an occult pa- practice and totally counter to anything that we would practice as Christianity. I know it's really, <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I was listening to a podcast that was uh, being highly critical of Jesus Calling um, because the this it it the way the the forward is written, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like automatic writing. They're like, that's just not something that that's not how God works. And it's like, but based on what you've talked about on your podcast in the past. That's kind of how you believe the Bible came to be. Right. So it, it's really funny to me when, uh, when I hear certain groups criticizing that. Well, and, and I love, th- what I love about the Bible is that God does preserve the individual in the writing. And we see this, and you know, one of my favorite examples is Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They're both men who wrote to, one wrote to the uh, exiles in Babylon. Mm-hmm. One wrote to those who were left behind in Jerusalem during the Babylonian captivity. Yep. And, but it's the same time period. So they pretty much had the same culture. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Jeremiah is someone who works in the fields. He, he's not uh, a very urban person, where Ezekiel very much is. He's part of the priesthood. Right. And so you get to see how these two writers, despite the fact that they share a lot in common, just simply being born in the same locale and uh, same time period, you still see their personality shine through. Yeah, and their, you, their perspective's different. Exactly. And, but the message is, uh, even though the method of delivering it is different, the message is still coherent. Sure. And, th- and to me, that's, that's just fascinating. And so, anyhow, just that little side trail, but this is, this is all new information to Abraham. He, right. he did not grow up being taught about God the way that, even uh, you know the people coming out of Egypt would have been. This was this is a new revelation, and that's the reason why I think God spends so much time working with him. Mm-hmm. Because when we talked about, there's going to be ten trials that Abraham goes through uh, to to get him to the point where he can be the father of this nation. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to me, I, like I said in the last episode, that's encouraging because if God can be this patient with Abram, how patient is He going to be with us? Yeah. And how how much can we screw up before God gives up on us? Because 
Abram, bless his little heart. I gotta say, yeah, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of like just not getting it. Yeah, and, and that's exactly where we are. We're right back to that place in uh, Genesis 15. Abram's still not getting it because God um, came to came to Abram in a vision, and he says, uh, "Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield to you, and your reward shall be great." And so God is, you know, reaffirming, "Hey, I'm still with you." Mm-hmm. I haven't forgotten you, but then Abram, for the first time in the Bible, someone speaks back to God, right, and actually begins to to complain and listen what he says. Oh Lord God, what can you give me? See that I shall die childless, and the one in charge of my household is uh, Demasek Eleazar. So a- Abram. What we've, I think what we, we overlook, because we're taught that this is a patriarchal um, document, he is still so focused on self. Mm-hmm. A- and this is going to come into play because he is yet, hasn't figured out that Sarah is a part of his destiny. And this is really what's going to hold up a lot of what's going on because he hasn't figured out what family means. Because if you want to get down to the bare bones uh, of Genesis, mm-hmm. It's about creating a family because every family in the scripture up to this point has been severely dysfunctional. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and we start with Cain and Abel. You know, we're going to kill our brother. Uh, then we get up to Noah's family and uh, the events after getting off the ark mm-hmm. and where Noah curses uh, Ham, actually curses Cain and son of Ham. Mm-hmm. And now Abram's got to figure out what does family look like. And really, that's not going to be figured out until uh, with Judah during Joseph's time in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go into that because that's one of my favorite stories. Yep. We will but, get there. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So a- Abram just, it, it bless his little heart. And that was, that was the, the one thing I wanted to point out. He's still not getting it. But after they have this discussion where God is kind of reaffirming, his position and what he's going to do for Abram. Then we go into uh, the covenant of the pieces. And that's P I E C E S not P E A C E S. Mm-hmm. Just uh, or clarify that. Um, right. Yeah. The covenant of the pieces. And I don't know, do we, we don't really hear this one talked about much in church. No, um, not much. I did hear, uh, Chuck preached on it uh, in new, at New Community, mm-hmm. and so I I did really enjoy that hearing what he was talking about that with that. So uh, for those of you not familiar with the story, uh, you know Abraham and God they make a covenant, and then there's talk of they take all these animals. Uh, what are they got? A, a dove, a, a bull. Uh, mm. I can't remember what all they've got, but excuse me, a three year old heifer, a uh-huh. three year old she goat. A three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young bird. Yeah. So, so they they take all these animals and they cut them in half, except for the birds. Except for the birds. Um, I don't remember what they do with the birds, but beak to beak, beak to beak. Okay. So the um, and they cut them in half and they set them on either side of. Uh, they set them opposing one another and they walk through it. And in the ancient times, the the people making the covenant, the two people making the covenant, would hold hands. And walk between the animals, and that would to, that would be to signify, if I break my covenant, 
you have, you have every right to do to me what was done to these animals. And so that's a powerful image. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things I was, <laughs> I made the joke with Mickey when we were planning our wedding. I was like, like, is there any place that we can go that will let us cut a bull in half on the spot? And she's like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, cause I, I thought that would be a great, um, great addition to the ceremony. She disagreed. Um, <laughs> you know, but take that for what you will. Things have changed, but yeah. And, but this theme, it's actually picked up in Jeremiah 34, 17 through 20, where God basically tells people, Hey, you violated the covenant that mm-hmm. I established with Abraham and you're going to be like carcasses that are fed to the birds. And it, it, the, the terminology goes right back. Uh, the same words are being used that are in Jeremiah that yeah. are being used here. And, and what m- most people don't realize too, when you read this, this was not an unusual um, ceremony. Right. This was actually a ceremony that was done when a king granted land to s- uh, some underling. Right. And so the fact that God, that's actually very important, that God is using a ceremony full of symbols that Abraham understood and would have been familiar with in order to communicate this message. It, th- this isn't unique to Abraham, but that doesn't mean God's less. Mm-hmm. It, it just means I'm going to speak a language you get. And I think sometimes we forget that God's really good about doing that, that he, he will speak our language. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's actually, you know, kind of goes to the covenant of symbols thing, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, if you're going to communicate with an artist, as an artist, if you're going to communicate, you have to use something someone understands. Yeah. And that has to be your starting point. Now you can tweak it. You can add layers and dimension and nuance to it, mm-hmm. but your starting point has to be that, that, that trust between an artist and their, their viewer or their listener or reader. Yeah. And God does tweak the symbol. He does. So. Yeah. Um, and actually, okay. So that's, that's the, the other fun part because <laughs> uh, verse 11 it's very, Abraham's laid out the, the pieces of meat and the birds, they're dead. But then in verse 11, it says, birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. And I have never heard anyone pull this out and actually talk about it. But I'm just going to read this, this little description here. Uh, this is from the JPS uh, Torah commentary. If you only have one commentary on the first five books of the Old Testament, get this one. Um, yeah, and that's just the first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah, just the first five. I wish they had something like this for the, uh, and they may. I'm going to have to do some research, but I've been slowly purchasing one copy at a time, one book at a time. Right. Uh, but I want to read this little bitty um, description. In Egyptian art, this bird represents the important god Horus, for whom the living god, living king, was identified. It mm. is possible, therefore, that the sudden appearance of birds of prey. And Abraham successfully warding them off symbolically pretends the sharp and menacing change that is to take place in the fortunes of the Israelites at the hands of the Egyptians, while also it prefigures there's a rescue through the merit of the patriarch. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I had, I had never heard that. Well, I, I had neither, but now we're back to this divine council worldview where it is about God's, the struggle between the God mm-hmm. and the godlets. And so um, the fact that even at this point that the symbol of this foreign God would try to descend and ruin the covenant at this point, that, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah, that, that's cool. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. So 
I'm have to think about that for a while. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and so that's kind of um, what I wanted to bring up. But uh, we know that Abraham is put into sleep. Uh, God passes through, and this is kind of the symbol that God is going to be the one sustaining the co- covenant. Mm-hmm. That it, it really isn't dependent on Abram, and it's not going to be till later that Abram's going to be asked to participate in kind, actually. And um, that's going to be a fun discussion because we're probably going to get there in just a minute. Uh, I'm just looking and seeing. We've kind of I've, we've made notes on this stuff, and we're just kind of going through and seeing what's interesting. What are you not going to get if you go down to your local Christian bookstore? And right, yeah, just we're just yeah, we're just talking about stuff that interests us. Yeah, and if it doesn't interest you, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it interests you. Otherwise, I don't know why you're here. Yeah. So the, the other than you must just really love us. Yeah, and I know there's some people that's the truth, um, but the. Uh, the next story in Abram's saga, God you know, makes his covenant with Abram. Uh, the, the very next story is Sarah giving Abraham Hagar. Mm-hmm. And we discussed this some on the divorce issue, but I think it probably bears some going over. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's just, because, just take it, yeah. Yeah, well, because the thing is... It's 10 episodes ago. Yeah, is it been that long? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. 11. No, 12. Yeah. So... You got to remember uh, the the um, the Bible doesn't include just details for details' sake, right? There there is a purpose uh, in it, and it's very interesting that when this passage opens up, Sarai, this is uh, Genesis sixteen. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And then you skip down a few verses in verse uh, three. Hagar, the Egyptian, and so the Bible is repeating, and it's almost like um, a hey, red. Do you flag. remember this thing over here? Yeah, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you, yeah, pay attention to this. This is important. Hagar is Egyptian, mm-hmm. and so where did the Egyptian? Where did an Egyptian maidservant for Sarah come from? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the encounter with Pharaoh when Pharaoh is like. <laughs> so it's it's funny. Because um, we we talked about this in the you know we talked about how you know Abraham had so messed things up that God's like I'm going to let the consequences of your actions play out I'm not actually going to punish you uh, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not even getting involved and then we still see this is several years later uh, ten years that they lived in the land of Canaan and there's still consequences playing out for for Abraham. Uh, just dropping the ball in Egypt. Yeah, for, for allowing Pharaoh to think that Sarah is his sister mm-hmm. and for accepting the gifts of Pharaoh in exchange for, for Sarah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which we talked about how that could, the most gracious reading is that he was trying to protect her by posing as a family member with rights to determine who she married. Right. Or he was, you know, the less gracious reading or less generous reading is that he was pimping her out. Right. And to accept these riches from Pharaoh. That actually caused problems with him and Lot mm-hmm. and caused a division there. And now he still has this Egyptian maidservant in his house, and she's been living with him for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And this is when Sarah says, hey, you know, I, I don't have any kids. I haven't been able to give you any kids. So why don't you take her? By the way, this was normal. This was, this was something that was practiced. We have other ancient texts that says that this is one way that a wife made sure she was able to retain her place in the household 
and was not kicked out by basically mm-hmm. adopting uh, the child of a concubine or a child of a maidservant. And so the, Sarah is reacting very much in keeping with her culture. Right. Because she, she's not free uh, of all the influences that she's lived with either. And she's actually going to mess this up big time. Sure. And so. Well, well and, and whenever you talk about, you know, her offering this up, and I, I don't know if this is quite where we're ready to go, but what you have here is you have, you know, who is Pharaoh? Again, we have, Pharaoh is the, the king. He is the, the representation of God on earth. Um, so what you have here is you actually have Sarah and Abraham uh, not only not trusting God, but actually trusting in what another God would have mm-hmm. provided. Right. So that's it. And again, you see this all the time, and it's this, this repetition of God's not giving us what we want. Let's go to Egypt. Uh, yeah. And you see that with the famine. Uh, you see that you know, see that with famine with Abraham. You see that later on with uh, Joseph. And Isaac his starts brothers. down there at one point. Uh, Isaac does. Yep. Um, I I forgot about. He doesn't that. make it, but he starts there. And then, but you you do see this over and over and well, over. And this is what Jeremiah warns against in his prophecy: don't put faith in the chariots of Egypt. And so that's where they get in trouble, and the the exile begins again. Right now, I do kind of find that kind of interesting though, because we see this pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, again and again and again but then we also see it where did mary and joseph go they went to egypt mm-hmm. so but the but the interesting thing in in that is jesus went to egypt but he didn't come back with the gods of egypt yes um so that's that's kind of interesting it, I mean, that's actually that'd be an, that's an interesting point to explore that can you spend time in egypt and not bring back the the things of egypt right and you know as we as christians living in a world that's not necessarily always the most christian can we can we live in a world that's not of our faith and not be polluted and tainted or tempted well, i mean sure we'll be tempted uh, i mean that's or, a given but I, I i think you know if we're going to be imitators of christ you know we see time and time again if again if we know what we're looking at how he goes into the various places of the world and drives out the mm-hmm. evil before him. And so, you know, we, you know, Paul talks about being in the world and not of the world. And so we kind of have <laughs> Jesus' example of, I'm going to go to what, at, you know, some cultures considered one of the most, most sinful uh, areas. Well, it, yeah, because in uh, the rabbinic te- text um, in the Talmud, it says that there were 13 forms of evil released on the earth at creation. And nine of them were assigned to Egypt. Yep. So, you know, random trivia, I know. Now, that's not scriptural. That's Again, not inspired. Yeah. Yep. But that's kind of gives you a clue as to how the Egyptian culture was viewed. Yeah, it was is perceived, yeah, very, very negative views from, uh, from Judaism and from, and from a lot of the world. But yeah, so that's that's just kind of an interesting thing. I thought I was thinking, you know, because we we see that time and again. Everyone just runs off to Egypt when there's when there's trouble, and then and Jesus does the same thing, but he goes and is not corrupted by it. He's not accepting gifts from Pharaoh. Well, that that we've recorded anyway. So well, and and you know, we're we're basically we're talking about retellings, mm-hmm. and we talk about how important those are. And and the the thing is in this account where they're in Egypt and Sarah is given to Pharaoh, that's actually supposed to rep- be representative of the time and bondage 
of the children of Israel in Egypt. Mm. And so even though Abraham himself doesn't experience it, Sarah does. Right. And that a, another teaching point right there that, you know, the people under your care can often suffer if you aren't doing your part. And you right. may not you may not be the one who suffers from it immediately, but just like with Abraham, it's going to come back and bite him in the butt because he's got Hagar in his house and it, it this okay number one let me just point this out because a lot of people want to go back and talk about uh islam and the the fighting going on in the middle east today and that goes all the way back to isaac and ishmael isaac and ishmael actually appear to get along in the text right uh ishmael isn't really seen as negative until later mm-hmm. and, and it's not ishmael personally it's ishmael's descendants Sure. And so uh, I think we need to be a little careful uh, reading too much into the text sometimes, right. uh, especially when it's convenient for our political purposes. Exactly. Uh, so, um, but it, it causes problems because Abraham never figures out that, that well, I can't say never. It takes him a long time to figure out how he should value his sons and how he should value his sons actually has a lot to do with how he values the women in his life. Right. Because, um, he, he seems to really perceive Hagar more as his wife than even Sarah in a lot of ways that this slave woman, and and we've talked about this too, that concubines were wives, Mm -hmm. but Sarah should have been his, his primary wife and primary concern. And you, if you notice throughout the the Torah, because there's a lot of people who go, oh my goodness, you know, the Bible's so patriarchal, and you know, you want to talk about biblical marriage? Are we talking about polygamy and all of this? The purpose was never to have more than one wife, and normally having more than one wife, it wasn't. It, it, the patriarchs did not stand up and say no, but it was the meddling of the women that brought other women into their marriage, right. And I hadn't picked up on that either. That's funny. Yeah. I, no, none of the patriarchs went out and sought to, to, to have another wife. Hmm. It was always a woman who felt insecure in her place and position that brings another wife in. Hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of interesting, but because he doesn't recognize and value Sarah as his wife, his primary wife. He doesn't recognize Isaac even as his primary son until the binding of Isaac. Right. And it's very, very interesting because um, here in chapter 16, when Abraham goes along with Sarah's request, he, it says specifically in verse four, he cohabitated with Hagar and she conceived. There is never any mention of Sarah and Abraham cohabitating to be. It's completely absent. And remember, we talked last time, or one of the times before, about uh, when Sarah and Abraham were in Egypt. It what's there in the text is sometimes as a, just as important as what's not in the text. Mm-hmm. And so the um, the fact that we have this pointed out that that Hagar and Abraham did have sex. Mm-hmm. This is how Ishmael was conceived. The fact that it's left out of how Isaac is conceived actually opens a whole world of speculation. And we're going to talk about what some of those speculations are, but Abram really saw Ishmael as his son, right? Even above um, 
above Isaac. And if you don't believe me, uh, a few chapters later, when Abram is talking to God, he actually says, may your favor be poured out. Okay, let me just read it. Oh, that Ishmael might live by your favor. Mm-hmm. He prays for Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that Sarah would be the one to give him son. So, uh, now, further on in the chapter, what I think is really interesting, too, and this is kind of goes against that whole patriarchal idea um, and, and how biased God, God is against the women. Not just, it, it's, it, and that's the thing that gets me. Uh, it's presented like God's the one who hates women. Right. And it's not. And so, because the first time an angel appears in the text. To anyone. To anyone. Uh, aside from the cherubim, uh, the cherub that stands outside the Garden of Eden. But the first person. Well, he's not there to help anyone. Yeah, he's got a fiery sword and going to hack people off of the you know, neck. Uh, but it, Hagar runs away. And when she runs away, the first time this angel of the Lord shows up, and he doesn't just show up to Hagar. You got to think about who Hagar is. She's a woman. Mm-hmm. She's an Egyptian. And the first time an angel shows to protect someone, it, it, it is a woman and it is a foreigner. And that's significant. Right. No, that's, that's cool. So that's. Uh... That's interesting. I like that. Well, I, I think it's, I, I think it's really, I think it's telling. I think it, it really realigns our, our perspectives. And well, and just kind of like, you know, we talk about how divine counsel worldview elevates, um, or it, it decentralizes humanity, but it also elevates God's love for us. Um, and so when we think about it, it kind of, takes away some of the ethnocentrism into the idea of salvation to the idea of God's grace and love. Um, and it's for the nations. And it's, yeah, it's for the nations. And so that's, you know, and you see hints of that, if, again, if you're actually looking and, and asking questions of, of every bit of the text. Right. And, and quit, quit thinking you know what's on the page. Actually read what's, yeah. what's there. Yep. And I have a hard time with that, too. Sometimes if there's oh. something I've read a hundred times, it, it just goes right through my head because I have heard this all this since I was, you know, well, probably in utero. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I think that's, you, you made the suggestion uh, last uh, episode that we should read it out loud sometimes or read it with a different voice or mm-hmm. hearing, hearing that. I, those are really good things. And sometimes, you know, even an audio Bible uh, mm-hmm. actually to sit down and listen, uh, that, that helps because different readers will put different uh, inflections and emphasis on the text. Right. And that can change how you read it. But the other thing that's really interesting about this text is when God responds, he promises her, um, I, I love the, this uh, promise he gives her. He tells her that she is pregnant, she's going to have a son, and God has seen her suffering. And this is how he describes her child. He shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell alongside all of his kinsmen. Now, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a funny description. So. I, 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 and I think to us, that just sounds crazy. But when you think about the fact she's a slave woman who's just been handed off to a man to become his, his quasi wife, 
his mm-hmm. pseudo wife. And yet here's God saying, your son's going to be free. Yeah. That's a huge promise. Mm-hmm. And this is given to a woman who, for all intents and purposes, operates outside the covenant. Yeah. But you still have deliverance. Uh, that's actually, and you got, and again, it's a precursor to being freed from slavery in Egypt. Exactly. And so, man, that's, it's, <laughs> there's just there's so many layers. Well, and we and we don't see it, and and this is a, there are times I will call Nathan and I'll be like, I just read this and this just clicked, and oh my gosh, can you believe? It? How come nobody's? T-? And yeah, and I go on like you know this thirty minute rant because I can't believe we we aren't studying this stuff more, and, and we aren't getting encouraged by it. Right, and and we and we aren't fortifying ourselves with the knowledge, and that's the other thing. And I think I made mention of this before, but you know when you talk when you mentioned the uh, the the accusations of, of God just being this terrible mm-hmm. chauvinist in the sky. Um, it, it really, when you have this knowledge again, uh, you, you, when you don't have the knowledge, you open yourself up to, to not only be attacked like that, to, but to believe the mm-hmm. attacks like that. And, and like you pointed out, it's a woman, she's a slave. God sets her free. Um, promises freedom for her son uh-huh and so yeah it's like what it, it's amazing like i don't know i'm with you why aren't why aren't we studying it we need to we need to to get this stuff together and again you know people want to talk about what's the practicality what's the application in studying this stuff it's right there mm-hmm. just knowing that the bible is a record of what happened mm-hmm. not necessarily how it should have happened mm-hmm. or not necessarily the best way for things to happen it just is. And if we can start there and work forward with our understanding of the text, then, then those accusations mean nothing. Right. And I think, you know, we, we have to remember, too, that the, God didn't come in and totally rewrite culture or science or history in order to accomplish his goals. He mm-hmm. worked within all of those constructs that were being used at that time and space. And he's not saying they're right. Right. He's saying, I can still use this. And, and so once again, we're we're by realigning that 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 viewpoint, we're saying God's bigger. Yep. And and I think everything we need to do, if we aren't coming back to that place, that God's bigger, mm-hmm. because I mean, honestly, I think there's a part of us that would think that if there's an Egyptian in the house of the covenant, knowing what we know about Egypt, mm-hmm. then why didn't God wipe her out? Why didn't God? He doesn't do any. You know, why doesn't God chastise Abraham? Why doesn't he, he mm-hmm. actually preserves this woman and preserves her child, and it even gets more dire as we go forward. Oh yeah, and but you know, Sarah Sarah is having quote unquote the holy attitude here because once she realizes her mistake, and Hagar evidently gets a little uppity, right? But once Sarah realizes that she should not have done this, she really starts to abuse Hagar and, and pushes her away, and. Uh, a, for that reason, Sarah is kind of looked down on um, by some of the 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 writers. I'm like the Rabban for once, uh, for one, just very uh, very rough on Sarah for not showing any more concern and compassion because she thinks Sarah should have gotten it. Right. Well, and especially when you look at how much emphasis is put on later when we get. And, you know, and I know, granted, the law has not been given yet, but how much you're supposed to take care of the foreigner in your midst. 
Right. And that's actually going to be one of the stories coming up. And we're going to see how, uh, once again, we're starting to, we're, we're having that, pro, uh, that progress of their understanding of God and their understanding of who they are with God. Um, but before we get there, we have that other really fun topic that. Yep. Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite. Go it's for it. The covenant of the, topic. the flesh, uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise known as circumcision. Hey, the kids are home. Yep, kids are home. So, <laughs> so sorry, everyone. Yeah, it's all love. Yeah, well, they're, they're just squealing because yeah, they're that, happy. That, that was yeah, those were screams of joy. And it, it's uh, the covenant of the flesh. This has been baffling for people. Um, I, I think <laughs> it's uh, probably more for the male in our audience than for the women. Uh, but. It's something that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I know there's a lot of debate out there whether circumcision is a good thing, a bad thing, if it's medically necessary. Um, right. And the thing is about the, the, the medically necessary question, that's not even in view here in the scripture. Right. This, this is all about following God's decree and being obedient. And man, what... What greater act of obedience could he have asked? And well, I I could think of some more preferable ones, but I, I mean, you know, go ahead. <laughs> you know, let me carry the load on this one. Let's now. cut the bulls up. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but that's <laughs> that's really what it, it's reminiscent of. It, it it's this uh, it's the language and the, the the symbolism goes right back to that covenant of the mm-hmm. pieces uh, where you're cutting up the animals. But now that this is not going to be something outside of you, this right. is going to be something integral to you. Right. And so you don't get to deny it or, or get to, you know, pigeonhole it. You're, you're going to be confronted with it every day of your life for the rest of your life, that right. this is who you belong to and you belong to him on an intimate level. And this is, I, I think it's kind of, it's interesting that, um, a lot of times in Christian circles, we talk about this, and it's like we we try to figure out how to talk about it without talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's not exactly the best topic. So, <laughs> but this is the first point that that Abraham is called to be an active participant. Right. Before this, God's the one who's who's setting the rules. He, he's saying, "I'm going to uphold the you covenant." Mean, aside from moving a whole city. Aside, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess, I mean. That, I mean, it's different than, than than entering a covenant. You know, mm-hmm. if God comes to you and says, hey, move here and do this, you know, that's one thing. And again, you know, I, I, I guess you can kind of separate your actions in ministry or whatever it is you want to call it from salvation mm-hmm. and from a covenant relationship too. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, again, thinking out loud, formulating as I go, but yeah, but that's kind of a, an interesting way of looking at it. So. And, and- with this physical change actually comes the name change. Right. This is when Abram goes to Abraham, mm-hmm. and he is um, now going to be, be a participant, a, an active participant on a different level. And um, what I think is interesting, and I'm going to throw this out there because um, I recently read an article. I was going to skim right past this because I didn't want to get like too... Um, Graphic? Yeah. But I recently read an article where uh, it's been ruled that uh, banning female genital mutilation is considered an overstepping of bounds 
by the U.S. government because it interferes with the practice of religion. And uh, yeah, this is out there in the world today that people are doing this. Now, this is sometimes called female circumcision. Right. And the, the thing is with this, this is always done for basically one reason and one reason alone. And it's the idea that if you remove pleasure from the sexual act for women, then they're going to be more faithful, that it's going to cut back on promiscuity. Um, now, we don't practice that in Christianity. We don't practice that in Judaism. And this is why is because the text specifically says that it's every male. Right. Every male in the household. And again, we're back to what the text doesn't say is just as important as what it does say. Sure. And so from this, it was argued uh, that the female's ability to participate and enjoy the sexual union, which we know is going to become a metaphor for God's relationship with the church, uh, with Israel and Christ's relationship with the church, mm-hmm. and the prophets are going to appeal to it over and over again. That, it, that this should be preserved, right. that this should be protected. Now, you want to talk about not being um, anti-woman? If you need any more proof than that, I don't know what you need. I mean, <laughs> that's... And that, that was so center to, to the, a lot of the laws about even observing the, sh- the Sabbath. Right. Uh, and so this, this covenant... Uh, it's very interesting from the perspective, or the sign of the covenant is very interesting from the perspective that it changes who you are. And the other aspect of that, too, is as women, the idea is that God has already put a system in place that changes who we are. That's continually, biologically, we are in a state of flux all the time. And so we are constantly aware of our dependence on him in a way that men are not. Hmm. And so... You know, we're we're beings that we're run on cycles, and the, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't. Yeah, and, well, of course, that's probably something I wouldn't consider. Well, and, you know, and, uh, right off, you know. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, and that's one of the really cool things about the Jewish law, because when we are talking about um, so many of the the rules on purity and and being clean and unclean, mm-hmm. it takes into account the these biological functions and processes, and. So, men were not unaware. They couldn't be. They couldn't live in a house with a woman and not be aware of what's going on. Right. Because it was, we just didn't have the same accommodations that we do today. Sure. And so, it it wasn't something that was hidden. And where the circumcision for the man brings blood, um, Mm -hmm. women, we, we are constantly, the blood is an evidence of our femininity. And so, that's in our ability to give life. And this is the reason why blood had to be brought from the place that brings life for men. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling really proud of myself for uh, <laughs> how I'm able to. No, you're breaking it down really well. So um, one thing I want to I want to touch on real quick because you talked about the the ceremonial laws of of purity and and things mm-hmm. like that. One thing I so I recently uh, I I've been part of a Facebook group that uh, debates Catholicism and Protest- Protestantism. Um, man, struggled with that word, but the, uh, <laughs> almost made a new one almost, but, um, that they just, they debate the, the two things and I generally just kind of lurk there and, and, and sometimes entertain, sometimes have, you know, provoking thoughts, um, that I keep to myself. 
But anyway, the uh, <laughs> one, someone asked the question because, you know, in, in Catholicism, Mary was considered to be sinless. Mm-hmm. And so someone asked the question, does the fact that Mary went to the temple to offer a sacrifice after the birth of Jesus, um, does that prove that she was not sinless? And so first off, uh, you know, it, you know, being Protestant, we don't, I don't buy that Mary was sinless. I think God has a pretty solid record of working with sinful people to achieve his goals, regardless of what they are. Um, you know, see mm-hmm. Abraham, uh, right. <laughs> but, but no, it, it was really funny. Cause I'm like, okay, so this does not help your case right. because the, the type of sacrifice would that would have been offered would have been about ceremonial or ritual purity and not about sin. And, mm-hmm. and if you want something uh, to really talk about uh, the difference between those two and how they were viewed differently, mm-hmm. um, check out uh, naked Bible, check out their, their series on Leviticus. Excellent. M- excellent series. It was interesting and engaging. And so we're not even going to take on that challenge. We don't think even even our uh, wonderful voices and pretty faces. I don't think <laughs> we we could do what Heiser did. With we Leviticus. couldn't even begin to do justice to it. Yeah, and so the uh, but anyway, there is. Uh, but when you think about it, you know the sacrifice that Mary would have been making would have been about ritual purity. It would not have been about sin. But I think when we the church has this misunderstanding that because there are so many laws. And and I've I've heard this that the, because there are so many laws surrounding what you have to do after sex, after menstrual cycles, uh, whatever, um, that sex and our sexual organs are sinful and a bad mm-hmm. thing, and you know, sex within marriage is looked upon highly. I mean, and, and you know, we referenced the other day, uh, you know, if God says go be fruitful and multiply. There's only one way to get there, and God's not going to command you to sin, right? It's just not going to happen. Well, and even part of the observance of uh, of the Sabbath is that you have sex with your wife. That that's what the men are commanded commanded to do. That you would not neglect her even for a week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is this is highly um, blessed, and it's approved of. God does not frown on it in the least little bit in the covenant relationship, sure. and that's why it's so important. You know, I, I'm real against a lot of the guilting that comes along with the purity culture and and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. But I do think there is an an important and necessary time to reaffirm that that this is supposed to happen in a covenant relationship Mm -hmm. to remind Mm -hmm. us that loyalty is a huge part of what God is calling for from us, that we need to be actively loyal to him. Well, and and that's what that's, and that's when you're, when you get into a lot of the way the purity culture really operates, it's based on one, it's based on fear, mm-hmm. um, which I, I don't subscribe to doctrines of, of terror. For um, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's also, it's when they take the, the acts of obedience and make those the things that are, that are basically, those are the things that are being worshipped. Mm-hmm. And when you make when you make an act of worship the object of worship, right? You're doing it wrong. Um, so that's that's my two cents on that. No, I, I think it's good, and I, I think it's a good reminder. I just want to throw in two more little points here, and uh, it looks like we're kind of 
getting to a point. Just don't be, look at the clock. I've got. I, I will I, take care of that. Okay. Well, I'm just saying this is actually is a a good point to kind of wrap things up. Okay. <laughs> so no, not just because of the clock. It but okay. So Abraham's not only supposed to circumcise himself, he circumcised Ishmael and all of the men. So we know there was 318 of those guys. And uh, yeah, we, we were actually talking about this off mic. Uh, you, how many guys went, man, I should have went with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Going to look for a new employment. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, God says that anyone who, who doesn't, uh, who's not willing to submit to circumcision shall be cut off, uh, which is interesting wording. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I know there's not a parallel there, but it, that when you when you pointed out the wording, it it really took me to Galatians, and it's like <laughs> I know where you're going with this. So go look that up later. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to read this because this was so good, uh, and I think there's actually some application in here. Uh, that phrase shall be cut off. It, it's correct. Um, it's there's actually a list. The Mishnah Kiratat um, list all of the times that Claret appears in the the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and it is always, almost always applied strictly to cultic offensives. Now, when I say cultic, I'm not talking about a cult. I'm talking about the ritual observation of worshiping God. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about you know. How how do you worship? That's how your cult operates. So I'm um, using it in the academic sense. So it's always um, used in occultic offenses or sexual offenses. Hmm. It's never used of anything else. And there's no definition of what that means. At no point in the Mishnah, which is the oral law, or the Torah, the written law, has no description of what this is. And then one time when it does come up, and it is in Leviticus uh, 21 through 6, and God's talking there as he's the one who's going to cut people off. It it says, um, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people. And so the fact that God says he's the one who's going to do it has led the, the rabbis to the conclusion that they should not be the one to cut someone off sure. for these cultic and sexual offenses, but that um, it should be God himself. It's, yeah. I, I think, and there, that's very interesting. Yeah. And it, it is really interesting because the, one of the, not the immediately next story, but almost directly on the heels of this is going to be Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And so uh, we actually see this played out. And uh, that's going to be an interesting story to to discuss. But I I think that you know th- there's some balance in there because evidently in in Corinthians Paul is saying, hey, if somebody is involved in sin, you don't even eat with them. Sure. But this idea too is when when God cuts someone off, He kills them. It's a short life, mm-hmm. and that they don't have children. And there's so many things that we can go from with that, but the idea of that God will shorten a life and God will remove, will not allow them to have children because he's removing their name from the earth. They will not have an, a part of the inheritance of this land that he's getting ready to give Abram. 
or even the children when they go back, uh, children of Israel when they go back yeah. into Canaan. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And so there's a lot of little fun parts that we could really uh, delve down into, and we might come back and return to that. But uh, I, I thought that was interesting enough, uh, particularly with Sodom and Gomorrah coming up, that uh, it's worth pointing out. So, okay. Well, cool. Well, that's a, well, that gives us a little bit of what we're going to be talking about soon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but in the meantime, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Uh, again, we appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please uh, share it uh, with your friends. Hit subscribe. All those things help us out. Uh, contact us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Be part of the conversation at Raven Creek SC is the handle there. You can mm-hmm. find us across the board with the one handle. Um, if you search Raven Creek Social Club, that should come up on Google nowadays, I believe. It does. It does. Okay. Have you, I haven't checked that, but um, ravencreeksc.com. Uh, you can find us there and you can get to pretty much anything we have from that location. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, be sure to check us out and be in touch. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.